This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast, and I'm super excited today to be speaking with Bruce Freed, the president and co-founder of the Center for Political Accountability. Bruce and the CPA produce an annual CPA Zicklin Index, which benchmarks the S&P 500 companies on their political disclosure and accountability policies and practices, and, and it also produces trackyourcompany.org, a searchable, sortable database on company political spending. So today we're going to be talking about activist shareholder proposals that focus on election-related spending. And so I'm just super excited to welcome Bruce. Thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be with you, Ron. Okay. So let's start with the Center for Political Accountability Proposals. You kind of have been the leader on uh, producing these uh, 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 election-related proposals election uh, spending disclosure related proposals. So tell us a bit about, about what they are and what they, what they're seeking to achieve. The center has two primary proposals. Uh, one is a general ask that companies disclose their election related spending with corporate funds. That's with treasury funds. And that's very important because that's the money that uh, in many cases is unlimited and also, uh, there are substantial uh, areas where the disclo- where disclosure is not required. So this is where you get the dark money. Mm-hmm. But the resolution calls for companies to disclose their election related spending with corporate funds and to adopt board oversight, uh, decision making policies for their political spending. The whole purpose is to bring transparency and accountability to corporate political spending. Okay. And then, then there's a, another right. resolution that's just very targeted that deals with trade associations and the social welfare organizations and disclosure of that of that spending. Okay. So th- this is all very fascinating. Let's kind of break the, break it down a little bit into two categories. There's, I guess, the governance. And then when you say the, the, the corporate spending, is, is the idea to show, you know, where that corporate spending is going? Is it, you know, this XYZ comp- corporation is giving this much money to this trade association, such as the U.S. Chamber and or Pharma, uh, the pharmaceutical lobby group or uh, to uh, a, 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 a different kind of a state legislative campaign or governance association? What are, what are we talking about in terms of disclosing their, 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 their spending on, uh, lo- on lobbying? It's, it's the non-deductible payments that companies uh, make, uh, the, the payments that companies make to trade associations that are used for the non-deductible expenditures that would be lobbying and election-related spending. It would be company contributions to the social welfare organizations, groups like One Nation or you know, the counterparts for Democratic super PACs. Uh, it would include 527 committees. Those are the political committees that have been very active at the state level, the Governors Association, State Legislative Campaign Committees, Attorneys General Associations, direct contributions to candidates where corporate funds can be used, company contributions for ballot initiatives. So it's a full range of election-related spending that can be made using treasury funds. Mm-hmm. And when money goes to some of these, like the state legislative campaign committees, just to be clear, this is ultimately, see, uh, they, they seek to elect the particular lawmakers Yes. In, uh, in power. Okay. Yes. All right. I just want to make sure that's good. Okay. So, uh, and then the governance aspect, I thought that was really interesting. You talk about uh, how the, the, the proposals try to address uh, who is making the decisions. I always wonder if, you know, the, the decision is made in secret at some level of the corporation. It's like, and they're like, oh, we don't need to tell the uh, board of directors about it. But no, it really, the board of directors needs to be involved in this and maybe even a subcommittee of the board of directors involved in this decision making. And that should all be disclosed. 
based on you know what these proposals. Yes, you know how how a company manages its spending, how it reviews its spending, who has the final sign off on the spending, what policies do they have for decision making on the spending. You know, we have all of that. You know, that's that's you know part of the uh, of the resolution. But also, that is also included in the CPA Zicklin Index. So the index and the resolution really overlap. And in many cases, companies will take a look at the 24 indicators in the CPA Zicklin Index and use that as the template for the policies that they adopt for disclosure and accountability policies in managing their political spending. So just very briefly, well, who should be making the decisions at the uh, at the uh, board level? Should there be a subcommittee that's just that's kind of responsible for this and then they kind of uh, explain it to the rest of the board? You know, we are, we're really quite open in terms of how companies approach it. I mean, there needs to be board involvement, you know, whether it's a report to the board, uh, whether it's uh, this report is is handled by a committee of the board. Uh, you know, what we do is prefer a committee of independent directors. Oh, we, you know, we measure all of that in the CPA Zicklin Index. Uh, but it's really, you know, there needs to be an element of board oversight, board knowledge, not just of where the company is engaging in spending, but the policies that the company has to govern the spending, whether to spend, where to spend, how to evaluate the the risk related to their spending. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I want to get into how these proposals will be doing, but first you mentioned the risk related to spending. And I think that that's the most interesting part of uh, uh, what I've been seeing about uh, political uh, political lobbying, election related lo- uh, spending and uh, lack of disclosure around it. And uh, later on, we're going to get into the, um, the, you know, what the Securities Exchange Commission might want, but not really be able to do in terms of re- uh, requiring disclosure of, the, of this spending. But there is a huge political risk associated with not disclosing what organizations you're giving money to, right? I mean, uh, I was thinking uh, there is uh, the, the interim chairman of the Securities Exchange Commission, Alison Lee, was talking about the relationship between, uh, um, you know, as corporations have uh, endorsed the Paris Climate Accords and, uh, in, and have set up uh, uh, agreements to, uh, you know, uh, reduce their carbon emissions by 2050. But I'm wondering if, meanwhile, they're privately funding um uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, promote policies to allow them to continue to emit what, you know, uh, continue to emit at, uh, at higher levels than what, you know, what is what the Paris Accord requires them to reduce to. Does that make any sense? I mean, there's, is there a political risk associated with not disclosing what money you're, you're, you're giving to basically or what, what, uh, what organizations you're, 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 you're spending money on? It's a tremendous risk. It's a risk that we have laid out in several reports, the collision course report, our conflicts and consequences report. It's a risk that the conference board has examined in a recently reissued report under a microscope. Today, companies need to ensure that their that the consequences of their, of their political spending align with their core values and their positions. Mm-hmm. This yes. is... Very important. This consistency is critical because you have consumers reacting to that. You have voters reacting to that. Uh, You know, I found in the run up to the election last fall that I was getting calls from many media outlets about conflict in spending. You know, a company like Amazon, which has really set very high standards uh, or goals for for being carbon free, carbon emission free giving to climate change deniers, Bloomberg, you know, doing work, uh, doing a story on 
on companies where there was a conflict between policies and their positions and who are the recipients of their spending. Companies need to track where their company, where their political money is ultimately ending up, what the consequences are, and then you look at that and see the risk that it poses to the company. Mm-hmm. I was fa- fascinated by the situation in, uh, in Georgia where uh, Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola came out against the uh, their recently passed restrictive voting access law. One wonders uh, you know, what, how these corporations spending, whether that aligned with uh, their concerns about the Georgia state legislature. It's a particular problem for companies today. If companies make statements and have policies on diversity, and uh, then their political spending has enabled the enactment of this legislation, that poses a very serious risk today. Today, companies have to answer to multiple constituencies, and these multiple constituencies are looking at a whole range of factor, including their political spending and what it says about the company and uh, and whether it's consistent with the uh, company's policies and positions. Okay, so let's talk, get back to the uh, activist shareholder proposals on uh, on uh, political and, and election related lobbying expenditures uh, disclosure. And uh, so, just explain to me the relationship between CPA. So, you work with a number of different institutional investors who submit yes. these proposals. So, uh, so tell us about you know the, give us a little bit of a flavor for the different kind of shareholders that have been submitting these proposals. And uh, and then maybe you could talk a little bit about how they've how they've done recently. And, uh, I, and my my suspicion is that twenty twenty one will be a big year for these proposals. I'll explain why I think so afterwards. We work with a range of of uh, investors uh, with a range of investors on the uh, to file our proposal. Uh, you know, New York Common Retirement Fund, Tom DiNapoli, the New York State Comptroller, is a leader in this effort. You know, there's Newground Social Investment, a socially responsible investment firm from Seattle, Sisters of Mercy, uh, the Nathan Cummings Foundation, Friends Fiduciary, Unitarian Universalist Association. It's a range uh, of investors who will file a resolution. It also includes individual uh, investors, too. And what they'll do is they'll file it. They'll engage the companies. We'll work with them on it, provide whatever help is needed. The resolution has received substantial support over many years. Uh, it started uh, at 9% back in 2004 proxy season when we started, jumped to 20% uh, 2006 proxy season. In 2019, the average vote on the resolution was 36.4%. Last year, 2020, it jumped to 41.9%. There is very strong support. I think it has the highest average vote of a ESG resolution filed at multiple companies. And of course, there are situations where companies will, with uh, sorry, uh, investors will withdraw the proposal um, after receiving some sort of. Uh, positive, uh, that the, the corporation has done something positive in, in response to the proposal, right? Does that happen a, a fair bit? Oh, yes. Or? I mean, you know, listen, our, our real goal is to, is to have the with resolution withdrawn where the company adopts the policies that the resolution requests. Last year, we had uh, agreements with eight companies. Uh, the, the resolution went to a vote at 22 others. This year, uh, we've had eight agreements so far. There will be, uh, you know, uh, more companies that we're having uh, that we and our partners are in discussions with. So we're, we're expecting that there'll be more agreements on this. 
We also find, you know, companies on their own will adopt the policies without a resolution. You know, that's why with the, with our CPA Zicklin Index, you know, we, we benchmark, we'll send companies preliminary scores. We look forward to speaking with them. And we find that that's been another way that uh, that companies have been adopting and strengthening policies. Mm-hmm. No, it's fascinating. Um, and um, uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if you think that if there's any sort of, uh, well, I guess one thing's for sure, uh, the, the Securities Exchange Commission, you know, with other kinds of shareholder proposals, you see a lot of situations where the uh, corporations uh, submit no action letters with the Securities Exchange Commission, urging them to withdraw, to, to allow them to omit the proposal. And a lot of times the SEC allows them to omit those proposals. But with these proposals that you put together, there's, there, I mean, are, are corporations even submitting no action requests to remove them, or basically it's uh, it's understood that the SEC will allow these proposals to go forward? It's understood that the SEC will allow it. There may be, you know, one no action challenge. I think, you know, in the last year or so, one was upheld. But our resolution has passed muster on this. And so it's, it's accepted. Companies take it seriously. Uh, you know, even those that... Uh, that that will have it go to the vote. Uh, you know, they can expect a high vote. Last year, by the way, the lowest vote was 30%. The highest vote was 58%. There were four resolutions that received a majority vote, one that had a that had a tie vote. You know, many of them are in the 40% range. Companies take votes seriously that are in the 30 and 40% range. It's you do not have to get a majority vote to get a company to move. But let me ask you this. I have to ask because I've seen so many situations where, you know, companies have received majority votes on, let's say, opposing directors in the withhold vote campaigns and uncontested elections or for shareholder non-binding. You know, these are non-binding shareholder proposals and they just ignore them. They don't do anything, you know, year over year. I, I think I've called them zombie directors or zombies somehow, Uh, you know, the companies that receive the majority vote, are they making changes? Oh, yeah. Most cases, the companies will adopt, you know, our our partner will go back and have a a dialogue with them. And, uh, you know, within either within that year or the next year, you know, the the company will adopt the uh, the policies. It's, you know, there have been some exceptions, uh, uh, but for the most part, when there's a strong vote uh, within a year or so, uh, the company will adopt uh, the policies requested in the resolution. Okay. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So, okay, so I'm going to get to why I think this, I mean, what drew me to, to uh, I'm going to be writing a, a feature story looking at this, and and what drew me to spend more attention on uh, political lobbying, election-related spending, disclo- corporate disclosures, uh, was the uh, confirmation hearing for the incoming Biden administration SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, who at his confirmation hearing said that if confirmed, political lobbying disclosure is something he, would, he thinks the SEC should consider, and he actually I believe brought this up without even being asked about it, and then you know uh, was then subsequently questioned a bunch of times on, on the point. And he talked about um, he said uh, disclosures are critical to investors and promoting capital formation. If confirmed, political lobbying disclosure is something I think the SEC should consider in, in light of quote the strong inventor investor interest. So this is, goes to your point about the shareholder proposals getting a lot of support. And uh, so, but then I found that there was a riot attached to the U.S. Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, um, which was adopted in December. So remember, December was the uh, kind of lame duck transition period between the Trump administration and the Biden administration, uh, where the Republicans still controlled the Senate. Um, uh, 
the the right basically writer is attached to this appropriation bill prohibiting the SEC from spending any money to write rules and regulations regarding disclosure of political contributions prohibiting the SEC from writing rules about disclosure of contributions to tax exempt organizations or disclosure of rules related to uh, fees paid to trade association or dues paid to trade associations like thinking the U.S. Chamber and Pharma for example and then um, so anyways that expired in December, I believe, you know, in the, in the fall of this year, they're going to be renegotiating this. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Uh, this is something the SEC really wants to do. Uh, Gary Genser wants to do. And, you know, the, the, the Senate majority leader, uh, Chuck Schumer, has, is, is a big uh, advocate for this as well. So, um, uh, so anyways, I, I know the Democrats have a narrow control of the Senate. I know it seems unlikely that the filibuster is going to go away. And I know that there's legislation, I believe, on the Hill that would also look for political disclosure. So I don't know, how do you, I mean, do you think this is going to be a contentious issue and uh, something that uh, the SEC will be advocating for and, and, and something that, you know, if, if there is another rider, there'll be a lot of attention associated with it. There'll be, do you think that there'll be pressure put to try to give the SEC the authority to write these disclosure rules? There's strong support for that. Senator Schumer, the majority leader, strongly supports lifting the rider and SEC adoption of a political disclosure rule. You have Carolyn uh, Crenshaw on the commission and Allison Lee, the acting chairman, who have come out strongly uh, in support of uh, lifting the political disclosure rule, adopting adopting such a rule. You know, Gary Gensler stated that at his confirmation hearing. I think it's a matter of time uh, before the SEC codifies what companies are doing. I think that's what the bottom line is. Companies are doing this. When you take a look at the CPA Zicklin Index for 2020 and you find three-fifths of the S&P 500 have some form of disclosure of their political spending with corporate funds, half of board oversight of, of, uh, of their political spending. Uh, it's a matter of time before the SEC uh, uh, adopts a rule requiring that. It is very important for risk management. It is extremely important in terms of the SEC's moves on ESG uh, disclosure. Uh, so I think, you know, we'll, we just... It may take some time, but it's uh, it's something that will be coming. Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating situation, and um, I think uh, and I'm wondering, you know, even if it's not passed, I feel like this could bring a lot of attention to the issue, and that could bolster the shelter proposals. Like the, the, you know, I feel like the uh, you know the, this will be a and and you know I don't know if it's an election issue, but something that will you know as the Democrats will bring up a lot, um, it could bolster. Do you do you agree? With my thesis that it's likely could it could bolster these shelter proposals, particularly if there's another rider attached uh, once again. You know what we've the shareholder proposal has done extremely well over the years. You know it has not been tied to a party. It's not seen as partisan. It's seen as good governance and very effective, necessary risk management. I think that's the thing that's very important about it. You know, this whole effort has not been tied in with any partisan uh, overtones whatsoever. Companies recognize that political spending poses a very serious risk. The conference board, the leading business research organization, has recognized that. Uh, and I think that, you know, the companies see this as a step that they need to take. And there are companies that want a level playing field. I think that's very important. When you have companies adopting disclosure and accountability policies, I think they see it as in their interest and in the interest of all companies that they have disclosure and accountability and a level playing field for that. 
Okay, well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on all the shareholder proposals and how they perform over the 2021 proxy season. And so thanks, Bruce, uh, for taking a little time to speak with us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate joining you on it, Ron. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Activist Investment Today podcast with Ron Oral. 